Hello, and welcome to the director and writer commentary for the motion picture Rush Hour 3. I am Brett Ratner, the director of Rush Hour 3, and... I am Jeff Nathanson, the writer of Rush Hour 3. Enjoy. This shot right here, I just want to say, because we're going to forget, is... Um, was shot by John Bruno, my visual effects supervisor, because he likes to get up in helicopters, and I wouldn't get up in the helicopter because I've risked <laughs> my life too many times on my other movies. And um, it's the exact same shot kind of that we did in Rush Hour, was it one or two? I can't even remember. Two. Two, in Hong Kong, which was taken from Enter the Dragon, my favorite movie. And I think, was Chris singing? No, this was a new version. This yeah, there was, a, was there was a lot of openings, if yeah. you recall. There was the pedicure, there was oh, the, right, right. there was a lot of opening. But it's always good to see Chris Tucker singing. We knew that we know that works for sure. I think you need the important thing is you need to start this movie with a bang and you need to end it with a bang. And the bang on these movies are always the the of course the outtakes, but the opening is very important. And um, also, you know, when you can think about it, we have to reintroduce them. We have to set up the movie. We have to start the plot. Yeah. And we have to get them back together and mm -hmm. running and chasing within the first eight minutes. Right. And 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 if you haven't seen the first two rush hours, to open on a guy in a cop, a black guy in a cop uniform in the middle of rush hour traffic singing Prince "Do Me Baby" and not paying attention to the traffic, um, and causing an accident. That immediately tells you who this character is. You know, I'd never heard Princess Doomy Baby, but I like the title, and I put it in <laughs> thinking you would just change it. No. I had no idea what the really? song was. Really? No idea. Oh, my God. Yes. That was brilliant. Well, we kept it. Here's Tai Ma, uh, the actor who played the ambassador, the consul from the first movie. Now we've made him an ambassador. I always feel better with you watching my back. I'm just doing my This scene, actually, Jeff, if you remember, took place originally in New York because we always wanted to end rush hour uh, or start the, the next rush hour where the last one ended. And the last one ended where they were saying, we're going to Madison Square Garden. That's right. We're going to New York. And so Jeff, of course, in the first draft, wrote a scene where um, Chris was on a bridge. What was the scene? I don't remember. No idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, of course, because of budgetary constraints, uh, New Line said, uh, no, you're shooting this in L.A. And I'm like, L.A., that sucks. But... There's not going to be any continuity if they watch these three movies in order. But we shot in L.A. I compromised because I got at least I got to shoot at least a month in Paris. So that was the compromise there. For tonight, I just picked up two girls who want to play hide the little Asian policeman. I can't talk now. I mean, I think Jeff and I realized that Rush Hour, the difference between Rush Hour One and Two was that Rush Hour One or the first Rush Hour had the heart, had um, because the stakes were high because a little girl's life was kidnapped. And um, it had more emotion, uh, and we wanted to bring it back. And two, we we attempted it. We 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 came up with this plot. Jeff came up with this plot where Jackie's fa father was a cop, Chris's father was a cop. You know, we we had a little bit of that in the first rush hour. Right, I want to talk about this shot. That, those are all fake people, right? Oh yeah, those people are fake right there. <laughs> all fake, and and those cars are fake. Every, now they're real. I had three editors on this movie because my editor who's done every single rush hour and every single one of my movies, Mark Helfrich, um, became a director, believe it or not. And I'm very proud of him, but um, he had to come back and, uh, and, and, and be a part of this because rush hour really, between Jeff, Mark, and myself, and Jamie, and some of the other crew people, 
you know, there's a team that made this movie. It wasn't just me. Uh, but Mark is a big part of the creative process. And uh, so when he finished being a big-time director, he came back. And everybody, by, by the way, um, Jeff moved on and directed his own movie, um, which um, I love. I'm a big fan of. Thank you. And uh, uh, I'm hope to see Jeff and Mark direct as long as they come back and always do at least rush hour films with me. That'll be special. This was a set, by the way, that was we did downtown. Um, Ed Vero was our production designer. He did a brilliant job um, at building the set, um, which was on in the in the top floor of City National Bank, and we um, shot this on weekends. And when you're a screenwriter, it's great because you write in the script. Uh, this is a 75-story building, <laughs> and when you get to the set, you find out it's a three-story building. <laughs> And, and here, uh, there he is, Jeff Nathanson. Great credit. I, I'm, Jeff asked me for a prominent position for his name. Because yeah, he thank you. He had worked very hard. Um, I love those flags there out the window. Those weren't there. We put them out there. But this scene um, is great because you feel as if, aside from the Chris Tucker stuff, you feel as if you're watching a, a thriller. And that was really the approach and the tone of the movie is that we always, um, tonally, we always f say, okay, this is a thriller. This isn't a broad comedy. Chris and Jackie just happen to be funny in the movie. So the situations, the comedy always comes from the situations and not from the jokes. And I love having a sequence like this to start the movie off, gets the, we intercut with Chris's comedy and we get to show Jackie's uh, physicality and uh, his action prowess. But unlike most thrillers, we get maybe four scenes to discuss plot yeah. in the whole movie. <laughs> exactly. So they really have to be very clear, right. thrilling scenes. <laughs> And, uh, this is a great sequence you shot here. This whole you. sequence. It was it was fun. It was what was fun. it like shooting through L.A. and through this traffic and all this downtown? Uh, what was it like? It was it was fun. Uh, this was cool. This was a cool thing. Sliding down this building. Connie Palmasano, my second unit director, um, shot most of that stuff, and he's just really um, excellent in, as a as a second unit director and stunt coordinator because he's inventive. He's always trying to come up with something new, which is of course what we struggle with. Um, and doing the third rush hour. This was by far the hardest rush hour to do because every scene we had done, you know, in in the past, I mean, every, every scene that, that, that we approached felt familiar. So Jeff, I think, did a great job. Or you, you're Jeff. Jeff, you did a good job at kind of coming up with some fresh sequences. Well, the, I think the best thing that you did for me, just in terms of action, was casting Hirosuke Sonata as Hiroyuki Sonata. I'm sorry. <laughs> Suki Sonata is a porn star in one of those Asian <laughs> films. That we love. What are you doing? Hiroyuki Sonata is, to me, one of the greatest Japanese actors because he's the only actor probably in the world next to Jackie Chan who could do the dramatic stuff and do the action stuff. Hiro started out, for those of you who don't know, in Sunny Chiba movies where I first recognized him. And then I saw him in The Last Samurai, of course, and I was like, I gotta get this guy because I needed a contemporary, um, you know, for Jackie. I needed a guy that where we can we can sell that he kind of grew up with Jackie Chan and he went one way and Jackie went the other way. And we wanted the brother thing. See, the whole approach to this movie was that we wanted the we wanted these characters, you know, Jackie and Chris's character to kind of um, have an arc. And we thought, okay, well, in the first movie, they they became partners, you know. In the second film. They became friends, and in this movie, we wanted them to become brothers. And 
one way to emphasize it was to have a plot line of uh, Jackie and his brother, um, which would really, in turn, kind of emphasize the relationship that that Jackie had with Chris, because this movie really is not just a buddy cop film, it's really a love story between these two men. And I was gonna tell you, uh, what's your name, Jeff? I was gonna tell you, Jeff, that if we do Rush Hour 4, the only place we can go is that, um, you know, Jackie and Chris become lovers, because, you know, they were brothers in the last one, mm -hmm. and they, they should be lovers in the next one, I think. Well, that's, not a, that's pretty easy to do, actually. <laughs> That'll be the easiest one to write. And how hard was it to get Hero to do this? Because he hasn't really done a movie like this ever. He, you know, Hero's a guy who came from the kind of martial arts genre, so he didn't want to go backwards. He is a very important, prestigious actor. Um, right, Shakespeare, right? He, he's everything. the only Japanese actor, I think, that's done Shakespeare successively on, on the English stage and I think in Japan and all over the world. So to go back to do an action movie, even though he's a big admirer of Jackie Chan and fan and I kind of... Is, met him briefly a few times over the years, and they always kind of said, oh, we should work together, do a movie together. I think it was, it was a bit initially beneath him to go back to the genre, not a Jackie Chan movie per se, but to the genre, and it took a lot of convincing um, to tell him, look, you know, you're not just the villain in this movie. This movie, I'm using your character to bring out the heart in this film. And uh, because of the relationship you have with your brother, the fact that, you know, and we came up with this because our back was against the wall, because I had to come up with, with an idea uh, of how to convince him to take this part. I wanted it to be a movie star role. I don't want it to be just some bad guy, some generic bad guy. There's uh, a Philip Seymour, well, that's not Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's Philip Baker Hall. <laughs> Philip Baker Hall, who was in a movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman called Boogie Nights. But Philip Baker Hall was the police captain in the first movie. Um, and we wanted to bring him back. We wanted to bring back some of the familiar faces because Rush Hour, well, the first Rush Hour, had a had a huge fan base, and we loved uh, working with these characters, with these actors, with these character actors. And we wanted to bring him back, uh, even though Jeff was reluctant. I think to uh... that is not true. I love <laughs> Philip Baker. <Hall. laughs> find the person who shot Ambassador Hong. Relax, Carter. Jackie and Chris will steal every scene if you don't have an actor that could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with them. And it's important, it's imperative to put great actors in these secondary parts because if not, if they become invisible and, and, and the scenes end up playing very flat. And try not to think about your wife leaving you. Well, that's what you do, too, more than any other director in this genre, is that you always keep things real. And, and part of the way you do that is by casting really great actors all around these guys. Here um, is uh, Zhang Jingchu, or Jingchu Zhang. Um, I say it both ways because when I put Zhang Ziyi in Rush Hour 2, she was Zhang Ziyi, and now she's Ziyi Zhang. So I don't know if it's first yeah. or last, but I know she has two names. I'm Z now Zhang Nathanson. <laughs> Zhang Jingchu or Jingchu Zhang. Um, but she is, uh, I think, an up-and-coming, uh, beautiful young Chinese actress who is a great dramatic, came from, I think, um, the Beijing uh, School of Drama, or whatever it's called, but she is really, really talented. And we wanted, the difficulty is I needed to find a girl that you, you know, is, is cute, because we wanted Chris to flirt with her because of the dialogue that Jeff wrote, um, or, or find her attractive. Problem is she didn't, you know, the line about, um, you know, uh, what did he say? What was the line? So young, so, so young. So young, so young. Um, it's just really kind of creepy yeah. when you think about it. <laughs> She was just, you know, when it was written, she was 21, and yeah. I think and, she's nine. Yeah. No, this girl is uh, is a really good actress, and, and um, 
you know, I buy it. I buy that she's grown up. She's the girl from the first movie, Hussein Mariah Carey. Is that 8347 First Street? Everyone in this movie, aside from Jack and Chris, are literally in a thriller. They're in a dramatic thriller, you know? They're very real, they play it very real. And it's the formula, really, of the movies that I grew up watching, which is, you know, Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours, which is everyone is very real in the movie, and Eddie Murphy is just doing his thing. Because it's not just a buddy cop film, it's a fish-out-of-water comedy. So you have to put these guys in situations um, where they could be fish-out-of-water, and uh, the, the comedy can unfold. If I'm, I'm giving an, an analytical analysis of... Uh, of, uh, of the comedy in this movie, I guess. It's hard to analyze it. I think it's just, it really comes out of Jeff's kind of uh, brain. He, Jeff is the only guy I know that can really write dialogue for Jack and Chris and knows these guys. But what, what were your, some of your, I mean, I know that, that the uh, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movies were like some of your favorite films. Yeah, all those, well, than... all those comedies of the 70s, all the same, well, a lot yeah. of the same ones you love from the, the 80s. Bean, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So it's fun. In this, in our generation, mm -hmm. there's just no kind of buddy yeah. comedy duo except for Jackie and Chris that is you know so we're kind of lucky in a way well, well, well you created them but well Chris Chris is really the 10 year old kids today what Eddie Murphy was to me when I was 10 yeah and and that's why I was able to I think to come up with this idea of, of putting these two guys together was because I grew up loving those 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 buddy comedies of the 70s and I was kind of I guess I, when I became a filmmaker I was kind of missing it and I think it, what made it fresh and contemporary and new was that it was a black guy and a Chinese guy. Violence will solve nothing. Yeah. We wanted to do this for Rush Hour 2, a scene where he was in a, in a karate school. I think we wrote one. I, we wrote this scene for every movie. For every movie. But, yeah. but the, the part we incorporated, because I, I'm a big fan of Game of Death, which is a Bruce Lee movie where he fought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I told Jeff, I said, we got to do the opposite of Game of Death and have Chris Tucker fight a Chinese giant instead of Bruce Lee fighting a, a black giant, right? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And... This is actually Jeff's least favorite scene in the entire movie because tonally, and I and I agree. I mean, I, we had huge debates. I no, mean, no, no, just this moment with the kids. The just, rest of the scene, I love. And, and this is Sun Ming Ming. I told my producers, by the way, let me just go on that story. I told my producers, I said, I need a Chinese giant. And I thought, of course, Yao Ming was going to show up. And they said, we found a guy seven inches taller than Yao Ming. I go, where is he? They go, he's in China. I said, get him here immediately. How did they get him here? They, they sent him on a plane, but I think he had to lay down on the plane to come. <laughs> what I love about shooting the sequence is that not only the inventiveness of, of the inventiveness of the Hong Kong style of how Jackie comes up with the, the, some of these gags, but all the little tricks, like, you know, when that foot was coming towards the camera, that was his shoe, but it was a paper cutout. T bigger than his actual foot because his foot was only 19 inches and Jackie wanted it to look giant and he thought 19 inches wasn't big enough so of course instead of normally in America we want the foot to look bigger so we, we, we do it with visual effects Jackie takes a piece of paper the shape of the shoe and cuts it out bigger and tapes it on the bottom of his foot so when the, the camera's below and the foot is coming down so making these movies with Jackie Chan is like really going back to school it's like going to film school and I get such an education on on the Hong Kong kind of way to do things, which is really just a practical 
you know, um, yeah, there's fake feet, there's fake hands. There's by the way, the leg, the leg that hits Chris on the chest is a fake leg because he realized that Sun Ming Ming is not um, very fast. You know, he's big, but he's not fast. And we needed the foot to come down at a tremendous speed. Um, and so we made, they made a wooden leg. Uh, and they took, they cut off one of his, they had wardrobe bring a, 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 his wardrobe and cut off a pants leg, put it on the, and it was a fake leg. And that's just, you know, it's so inventive in the way that Jackie Chan does things. And that's why um, I feel that it's, I'm so lucky to be able to um, to ha be, do making a movie with him because I learned so much from him. This is probably the funniest scene in the movie, I think. Um, of course, it's who's on first. When Chris read it, he was totally against it. He was like, we cannot shoot this scene. I've seen this in 100 movies. I said, no, but you're going to bring... Chris Tucker to it. You're going to make it your own. You're going to own this. This is a great character actor named Henry O. And I read a bunch of actors, and he was he's been a lot of he's been a lot of dramatic Chinese yeah. films. And you needed someone that was very real. What's great about this is it reminds you because we haven't seen Chris on screen in six years. Yeah. And when you see him do this stuff, it's just amazing, and you realize that he, you know, of all the guys out there right now, he really is. I think probably the, you know, the freshest comedy worker. God, that sounds stupid. <laughs> freshest comedian. He's the freshest comedian working. <laughs> you know, Chris has a persona to himself. He's different than guys like Jamie Foxx or Eddie Murphy who are mimics. He's more like Richard Pryor, who because he had such an interesting persona as a as a performer, um, that it was it, it kind of overshadowed any kind of character that he could have played. Uh, and he, Chris is different than Eddie because Chris is able really to, Chris I think is more like Richard, where Richard was able to pull off the dramatic moments in films. Not that Eddie hasn't you know, attempted or done it in other movies, but what, what Richard did in Lady Sings the Blues and the Mac reminds me of Chris Tucker, yeah. where we didn't really attempt that in this movie, but you see hints of that, but you definitely see it in his performance in, in Dead Presidents. And it took him a while, too, the first few days of shooting. Yeah, he, he was to a get little the rhythm. get back in the movie rhythm. This is a scene that I, I told, I don't know if it was my idea or your idea, but I said I want a scene, I think it was my idea. I said I want a scene, <laughs> I want a scene like uh, The Godfather um, when they go to the hospital to get Don Corleone and Al Pacino has to go outside, and I mean, it's it's it's, it's not. There's it's there's a series of homages that you have yeah. in this film, and this is one of them. And this is one. Some are mine, some are Jeff's. But basically, we grew up. You know, Jeff's maybe 20 years older than me, but we grew up watching the same movies. Um, and if you're watching the HD, you know that he's not 20 years older than me, but we're close in age. Except he's a family man, and I'm not. This is the, like there's an improvised line. I'll blow your ass cheeks off. That's a great line that Chris. So when Chris feels comfortable with the scene and he's in the mode and he's his he's he gets you know the beginning middle of the scene, then he kind of fills in the the blanks. My editor Mark Helfrick took out some of the lines in here that were improvised, which he just thought it was too much, which is like uh, because there were Chinese guys coming up. When Chris is able to connect the dots, it's brilliant. But he just took it out. I don't know why, which is him saying, uh, we don't want uh, Chinese food. Take that shit back. Because there was, there was um, you know, these these Chinese assassins coming upstairs. And and one of the lines, the jokes that Chris, that Jeff wrote was, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, please tell me someone ordered takeout. Yeah, please yeah. somebody ordered chow mein, you know, which we end up losing. So then we end up losing the other line of we don't want your Chinese food, you know, which obviously wouldn't have made sense without the first line. 
But I love this because in, in police story, in the first uh, police story, Jackie Chan has an incredible shootout in that movie. And I don't want it to just be kung fu fight sequences. Like everyone, no one has a gun and everyone's a martial artist. These guys are killers. These guys are coming to kill uh, the, the um, ambassador. And um, they this got, is my favorite action sequence in any of the Rush Hour really? films. Really? Yeah, I think that the first, more than the more than the massage part. Yeah, because this has it not only has it has a shootout, it has the kung fu, it has comedy. Yeah, it's got everything, and it's got some great inventive bits thrown in here. Well, thank you. Well, this uh, you know this was hard. I think how long did it take to shoot? this I think whole we were, we had three days in the schedule, and I think we were here for about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that got a huge. That was a big reaction. I mean, I think people actually. A lot of people told me that that was their favorite. When the slide of the, of yeah. the, uh, of the of the cartridge, and then here is is some great comedy here. This is uh, Kentaro. I think he's Vietnamese, but he's French. And uh, I needed a, an Asian guy who could speak French, which is basically the overall concept for the whole film. Where. You know, and, and what makes sense for all the Russian movies is that no one understands what anybody else is saying to each other. So if you speak perfect English, you will not get a part in Russia. <laughs> the white people are token whites in this film. Um, and this, but it, that, it's kind of nice to see a movie where it's just not that same white sensibility yeah, absolutely. in every scene. Speak English! Stand there! This is probably the second funniest scene. This ten minutes of film is just pretty good. Yeah. Well, this probably well, this the, nun you cast is is, uh, is yeah, unbelievable. Dana Ivey is just a fantastic stage actress who, who uh, made it real, you know. And Chris, when Chris is in the room with this this woman, he's really treating her like she as if she is a nun for real. And that's what's great about Chris. He gets. He gets immersed in the moment, and, uh, and we we actually had a lot of discussion because this, you know, to do a scene about the N word at a time when no one's allowed to say the N word. Yeah, and that's why I thought the inventiveness of this, um, with with you know, it's a PG thirteen movie. We can't curse, and the idea of not being able to curse because there's a nun in the room um, is, I think, is an inspired idea. Right, and we can have now 13-year-old boys will curse. They'll know the words anyway. Exactly. So we'll get it. Putain de nègre gone there since Did he say nigger? He used the N-word again, but this time he mentioned your grandmother. You tell him that his mom was an H. Carter, I believe ho is spelled with a W. See these freezers behind them? Literally, they were filled with dead bodies, and it was freaking me out. I mean, I think I disinfected my body and showered because I just thought I was going to catch some weird disease from some dead person, even though, you know, I'm sorry. No no disrespect for the for the deceased. There's some improvised lines in here. Um, now, this original scene I thought was the funniest scene ever written in the history of movies because... Chris pulled the gun. I mean, the original script that Jeff wrote, Chris pulled the gun, not on the bad guy, but on the nun. And, and he noticed Chris that had the a little guy, problem with putting yeah. a gun to a nun's head. <laughs> he, Chris could not f bring himself to pull the gun, put the gun to the nun's and head. You ta you've talked him into almost everything. Almost everything, but, but, not, but not this. And and last minute we changed it. But he noticed that this guy, originally in the script, this guy had a cross around his neck. So he saw he was religious. So he thought that he would spill the beans. And then... The same out was there where he slaps, you know, the nun's hand and she goes, nice working with you, brother, which you saw, oh, that was all a fake out just for the purposes of, uh, of now, this, this line after the, after he shoots is a Chris improvised. I'm trying to, was that written? Yeah, it was improvised. Yeah. It was great. That was a great, uh, Chris comes up with these gems. I mean, these lines that are just brilliant. Um, here, he goes, I'm trying to kill somebody, man. You know? 
right to heaven, man. I don't even care no more. I'm off for death. I ain't got nothing to lose. Domine sancte paterum. That's right. So I make him say every single line that Jeff writes, every single line, even though people are always like, oh, yeah, Rush Hour is improvised. Yeah, but every line that's written on the page is in the movie and then some, and then some, one or two improvised lines from Chris. But it's always about the scene. You know, you can't improvise and talk about stuff that has nothing to do with the scene because this is a thriller. It's not a broad comedy. Um, and we're, we're trying to, you know, move the story forward. We don't want to sit in these scenes. The pace of these movies are so, is so fast, 90 minutes. I never want to make a Rush Hour movie that's longer than 90 minutes, even though the audience is kind of fiending for it. But one, it gives me seven screenings a day of this movie, and it gets kids to want to come back and see it more and more because they feel like, you know, we, 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 you know, we, we, we leave them wanting more. This was in L.A., but this is like the French consulate. It's actually in Pasadena. And Max von Cena, I wanted to talk. I, I, that was my dream actor for this part. You know, Three Days of the Condor, Exorcist, you know, all the Bergman films. I, I, I was such a fan of his, so I said, oh, to Jeff, I said, think of think of Max von Sydow, and I had a relationship with Ian McKellen because I did X Men, and I said, oh, I'll send you. I called Ian, I said, I'm gonna send you the Rush Hour script, and I said, you know what, let's just send it to Max anyway. Next thing I know, he wants to meet with me in Nice, so I come to meet with him and his wife, and I say, you know, I, I wrote this part for you. He's like, I'm gonna do the movie, and I was like, really? Because the last movie he'd done was Minority Report, and I was just so flattered because he's so picky about the movies he chooses, and then. It's just something for me to be able to tell my grandchildren about. I worked with the great Max von Sydow. And this is one of those cases where I was wrong because I had written this originally t for a woman. It was, in my mind, Catherine Deneuve or somebody like that. Yeah, actually, and I met with Catherine Deneuve. I met with some of the great French actresses. And then I said, no, Max von Sydow was always the guy who I thought uh, would play his part. And I ended up getting him. I got the... I, I got Rush Hour is kind of an amalgamation of everything I've ever dreamed of doing in a Rush Hour film, which is, you know, huge action sequences with all these actors that and, and scenes that I never got to do in the past, too. So this was like the this is the ultimate. Right? It should be called the ultimate Rush Hour. Can we still get that in the marketing campaign? We have another <laughs> eight days. Here's Rosalind Sanchez right there in that picture. I hope people recognize her. Did you know the average French woman is naked 34%? And also in this movie, I want to point out that there's more CGI uh, than in any Rush Hour movie ever. Like out the window, those are fake clouds. Well, I talked to John Bruno, who is the visual effects supervisor, who told me there's more visual effects shots in this film than Alien vs. Predator. Really? And he said, he said there's, what is it, like three or 400 effect shots? 500. So, oh, 500 movie. effect shots. And... What's amazing about this is that most people who would watch the movie will maybe pick up or at least think there's maybe three. Yeah. And that's that's what it is. I Because of my experience with, with X-Men and with John Bruno as my visual effects supervisor, I realized what I could do with visual effects. So we went to the good folks at uh, ILM uh, and uh, we came up with this third act set piece because what Rush Hour really needs to be a successful, to be to be good, I think, is a, a great third act set piece. And we wanted to top ourselves from the first two movies in every way, but I mean, definitely in, in the action and find a set piece that we can, um, you know, blow people away. And uh, the Eiffel Tower was, uh, was definitely the place to do it and with visual effects. Really quick, I want to tell the Polanski story because when I did the first Rush Hour, I met Polanski and he was a big fan. He loved the movie. And we just 
kept in touch. We were friends and we stayed in touch for, for me. This was like nine years ago. So I was in Paris um, having lunch with Roman and he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm doing uh, uh, Rush Hour 3. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. I love Rush Hour. And I said, you know, you should be in it because my favorite movie of all time is The Tenant that Roman directed and acted in. So I called Jeff. I don't know, it must have been like two in the morning for him. I woke him up and I said, I, I said, he said, I said, you got to be in the movie. He goes, well, what would I do? So I literally left the table, called up Jeff, woke him up, and I said, Roman Plants is going to be in Russia. He goes, oh, come on, Brett, please, stop wasting me. I'm like, please, write two scenes right now for, for Roman Plants. The script was done. Yeah, the script was done. It was, was completely done. done. We, had, we were shooting in about two weeks. Yeah. And, and Brett tells me Roman Plants is going to be in the film, which I said, that's never going to happen, ever. <laughs> And so I, 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 he faxed me over the pages to the hotel at the, in Paris, and I sent him over to Rome, and he says, okay, when do we shoot? And uh, What I loved about watching Roman on the set was just how into it he was. He was all so the detail it. and the powder. And oh, he wanted, to so do, great. He, he wanted to do more takes than Chris Tucker. <laughs> and he was actually the most cooperative actor I've ever worked with because directors understand what it takes uh, to make a good scene, and, he always, and he's great at comedy. Where are you go? Here is my favorite character in the film. Uh, Ivana Tal uh, directed my favorite French film. My wife is an actress. And he came in and said, I want to audition for you. You know, I said, but I love you. I'll, I'll just give you the job. He's like, no, I want to audition for you. And he stole this part. And I always knew in my gut. Uh, and this was, I don't know if I mentioned it to Jeff, but I said, remember Joe Pesci and Lethal Weapon? I said, we need another character somehow, in, you know, in this movie to make it fresh. And I think this dialogue is great. You know, because it, it it's it's so anti-American. It's showing that I think anybody else who would have written a rush hour in France would have had the the Jackie and Chris talking shit about the French, and instead we have the French guy talking shit about the Americans, yeah. which was interesting. And then by the end, it's great for his character and his arc that by the end he's telling us, you know, he'll drink this coffee shit all day long. He's wearing a, a Lakers hat and he, and he wants to kill people because that's what Americans do. I wanted to have fun with the stereotype of how the French, oh, they all hate us. And what's really amazing to me is this is one of those rare things that whatever it was on the page, this is an actor that comes in and yeah. just takes over a part and is so much fun to watch. And can a guy, for instance, who could stand toe to toe with Tucker, with, with Tucker and, and and Jackie, because Chris, you know, brought that. Was that written the national anthem? No, 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 no. That was all improvised. That was all improvised, and that was just uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, that when I when I when they when he was in that first scene, um, I just knew we had gold there. It's not really Rue Franklin D. Roosevelt, but this is where we pick this like little club. And then, of course, you go in the doors, and then we're in L.A. Movie magic. Incredible. <laughs> that was actually the first day of shooting, driving down that street. This is a great place in downtown L.A. where I've shot many music videos, but Edvro, again, transformed it into a Paris club. The song here, actually, uh, I own. It's a French song that Salam produced and uh, did for the movie, which I don't know what the, the translation of the song is, but it's a great song. It set the tone here in the atmosphere. And here is the gorgeous Noemi Lenoir, who, again, uh, you know, I meet with Jeff, I give him some parameters, I say, we want a kung fu scene. I said, I want a hot French girl because I know, and because I knew Noemi, I said, that gorgeous girl who's like, 
you believe would get involved with the triads and who has a shaved head. I think Jeff came up with the shaved head thing and the tattoo thing, which I thought was brilliant. I don't know if that's this is true that the all true, all true, all true. The list of the of the tri the names of the triads are put on the head of a of a girl, and then of course after her journey around China, they chop the head off um, of the girl, which is a great just a, a, a plot line, which I love. Remember, we only get three or four plot scenes, so yeah. it has to be very clear. <laughs> And this is a wig she's wearing here because we already had a shaver head. I hate skull caps, fake skull caps on people. I think they're horrible. They look like crap. And um, this is a great scene, a la James Bond. You know, Chris is always great at picking it. We had the scene similar to this on the yacht with Rosalind Sanchez. And mm-hmm. so every scene you can see a, f- a familiarity with from the other movies. Um, if you track them and you go, oh, that's like the scene on there, that's like the scene on there. Thank you. Change. I don't. I think I don't know if it was Mark that came up with intercutting the scene, or uh, Don Zimmerman or Dean Zimmerman. But I I know that it wasn't written like this. It no, it was one long scene, and and thank God, <laughs> and we ended up like this. Yeah, we intercut it. It just made it better. Here is um, Jackie with uh, Yuki Kudo, who was a great actress from Memoirs of a Geisha. And um, she, I always wanted to work with her. I think she's really talented and um, play, plays a great kind of evil, kind of seductress and uh, what do you call it, dragon lady? Uh, sure, dragon lady. Great with the knives. We, we, Jackie came up with the idea of the fan, with the pulling the knives out of the fan. Is that a real weapon of some kind or did he just uh, I think that? it exists. I think he, I think it's been in other movies, but I think Hong Kong mm-hmm. movies. And uh, this is one of my favorite lines that Jeff wrote, which is uh, about the Magic Johnson Theater, playing Baccarat in the Magic Johnson Theater. And it's just... Which gets no laugh in a theater, but I always laugh. <laughs> Are you kidding? Well, no, the, you're, you're singing in front of a Hollywood audience. Well, go, go see it at the Magic Johnson Theater. I bet you get a laugh. It gets a laugh. Three kings. You know what it is? Chris is so charming. Chris has an undeniable charm about him. And, uh, and he's handsome. And that, I think, separates him from the other comedians because he really um, puts on the charm. And yeah. it's his leading man face. Leading man. And he's likable to, to women, men, everybody. And he's funny. And he's, he's definitely matured. He's gained a few pounds. Uh, but he's, uh, he's still funny as hell. He's just, he's just a little bit older and a little bit uh, bigger. But he still is charming, brilliant, funny self. This is one of the, my favorite funny scenes in the, in the movie because... Um, this is you know, when when Rush Hour is working. This is what's happening. You've yeah. got comedy, you've got action, yeah. you've got everything going on at once. And you have a you dramatic know. scene here with Jackie and, and Yuki Kudo, and there's always the the fish out of water kind of misinterpretation of what's happening. And a closed door is the best place to do it. Where Jack Chris is hearing uh, sounds coming from inside the room. Of course, she's trying to kill him, and he thinks they're they're humping each other, and it makes for a hysterical hysterical scene and all uh, because of Jeff's understanding of what works and what doesn't work Um, and this stuff you laugh on the page you know um, when you read it and these guys just bring it to life really it's a great great sequence shot on a stage and uh, I was watching you guys do this and watching Jackie set this all up and 
remember you already explained to Jackie that he had to actually create moments where Chris could hear things on the yeah. other side of the like, door. Oh, that moment. And, oh, <laughs> and her screaming. Oh. So he kind of was designing. You know, I kind of give Jackie the beginning, middle, and end of the scene and tell him the points that I need to hit that are very important to tell the story. I'm not kind of the keeper of the plot. Because Jackie could have created a a 30-minute fight sequence in here with this woman that would have kept going and going and going. And I try to take the best, you know, of the 20 minutes and put it into two minutes um, in the film. So he's thinking, okay, we're fighting, but he thinks we're having sex. Here's the thing that we did really cool. It's a visual effect with the with the fan. Jackie really got hurt during this scene, didn't he? Jackie really hurt himself. He, he The table hit him in the chest. You'll see in the outtakes. And he, and he cracked his sternum. And I could not hug him for the next two months of shooting because I always hug him every day after, after he does a good job for me. These knives are a mixture of uh, practical knives and CGI knives. But there's a Hong Kong way to do it, which is to put the knives on a wire. But we just thought, you know what, we'll just do it CGI. Make our lives more complicated. And then you come out the door and you're in Paris. <laughs> yeah. Movie magic. This was uh, fun because, uh, you know, shooting in the streets of Paris is like, we actually shot this in August. The wide shots were shot in August before we shot the movie because it's the only time that all of the French are out of Paris. Um, and it's just basically tourists and Arabs in Paris. So they didn't care what we did on their streets. Uh, George, we need you to go faster, man. No, forget it. You want to kill me, then go ahead, kill me. This sequence probably was talked about more than any other yeah. sequence, just well, because know, of the complexities of it, and yeah. they, we couldn't get an ending. And... I mean, the the, the 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 rules that the city of Paris put on us, as far as what roads we could be on and what speed, and you know, for at what time, and it was very complicated. It was, but ultimately, you know, we got what we wanted. The real, the the, the discussions are really how are we going to end the sequence, and we were we were really going in the wrong direction. We kept thinking about like, Ro Ronin, yeah, <laughs> like big. But you know, at the end of the day, audiences don't really care about a huge car stunt or a jump into a river, which was the original uh, idea. Or, you know, Jackie had this idea of the boat going into, the car landing on a boat that's in the river and then hitting a bridge. I mean, it's this huge multi-million dollar sequence. And at the end of the day, it's about these two guys and the characters. And we needed them to get caught because the next scene they were being taken down into the into the sewer of Paris. But this is something that you do in your films, I think, that, that a lot of directors of yours caliber don't do and that is use restraint that you're able to have the confidence to shoot a huge action se sequence and not have some huge explosion or something at the end and yet still has the same payoff for an audience yeah because i think it's more about these two guys and little moments i think go much farther than even a big stunt I and mean, we've seen in every other movie you know um you know, big car explosions, chases, and I mean, this is, this the is cool. Stunt. Look, the car disappears there. That's a mistake if you guys haven't noticed it already. The car, the van behind disappears. This is a lot of it was shot by Connie Palmasano, second unit. The stuff without, of course, Chris and Jackie, and then I went in. What's fun about this is that the comedy in this is so great. You know, it's a car chase, but it's the rush hour version of a car chase in Paris, which is pulling Chris out of the car and uh, Jackie trying to, you know, him screaming, Jackie holding on to him. Um, hitting this bread cart, you know, um, the car coming out. This is Jackie's idea for the car to go out, go on its side. And initially we showed the car landing on the motorcycle, but I thought this is physically impossible. We're going to have to reveal this because I don't believe it. And then they're punching each other. This we went back and shot. It's the only thing we went back and shot. Um, 
which is punching. I, I had the idea of, the, of them, each one of them getting punched. I've seen it in some movie, and I don't remember which one. Um, but getting punched and the cab driver screaming. And, and then here, this is the ending we settled on, which was, uh, of course, not in Paris, in L.A. We, <laughs> but we put the trees are from Paris. The road is from L.A. The, literally, the trees are Parisian. Uh, we comped in the sides of it is Paris on some avenue, and you know the the, the ground they're sitting on is uh, is uh, is uh, L.A. And now the underground sewers of Pasadena. <laughs> no, this is Paris. No, well, the exterior is Paris, and of course, now we're in Pasadena. Some people say the modern world. This white uh, motif uh, that Betsy did for us was really inspired by. My, my favorite movie, uh, one of my favorite movies, Year of the Dragon, directed uh, by Michael Cimino. And um, white for Asians mean death. And, you know, since he was an assassin, you know, he wears white. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Your brother. He doesn't talk about me much. In fact, he's... Hero is one of the greatest actors. Really, He, he brought so much realism to this character and emotion. And you see Jackie gets very emotional. If you could see on your screen here is he's like kind of teary-eyed here because there's a conflict here, which is great, is that, you know, Hiro is like a brother to him, you know, the Kenji character. Let me repay the favor, Lee. You know, Jackie really did grow up in an orphanage, and so we kind of yeah. used that, and, and I think that's why Jackie connected to it, you know, so well. Because mm -hmm. he grew up uh, in the opera and was very disciplined um, as a kid. His parents kind of, he had parents, but they kind of just dropped him off there, you know, in real life. No choice. Well, I guess he's staying. Who want to take me to the airport? We'll always be brothers, Lee. I think Jimmy, who was my camera operator on Russia 1 and 2, uh, ended up DPing this version. I think it is by far the best looking uh, Russia. This is a set that Ed Vero built, but uh, a set built underground in a kind of uh, underground yeah. underground of a building they made a sewer look like a sewer which exactly I think is interesting with the dripping water with the slime everywhere go hey which way man and then this next section is a set fully built from scratch um jimmy did a great job again on the lighting here and it continues into the set Another set piece, which is a huge, very expensive, right there, very expensive set piece. Um, but the slide is fun, and and the shit was right out of uh, yeah. uh, Bonnie, no, uh, Butch. I mean, Butch and Sundance, which is exciting. And this is, we, 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 I made it really ugly shit brown, the color of that water in there. This is the Plaza Athenee, where my residence, and I think sound design here comes into play because the squeaky water here in the shoes, that their shoes are filled with water, um, was great. And this, this scene was a little different, uh, but we shortened it and it works great. Two showers, a massage therapist, some new clothes, and a case of Old Spice. Get right into the elevator. I mean, on the DVD, I'm sure there'll be a longer version of the scene because this woman was so brilliant in the scene. She improvised in French and was such a great character actress. And it just went on and on. I could have had a 10-minute version of this. If this was a Jim Carrey movie, this scene would be 10 minutes long because this woman was brilliant in this scene. Very, very funny. Yeah, this was the whole French crew was laughing. Yeah, you know, so. cracking up, hysterical. 
Oh, hell no. Now, the TV version of this, by the way, without the dog pissing, I have to tell you, is funnier than this version. How, why? You have to see it. I think you feel sorry for this guy. Maybe Kenji didn't get away in L.A. Maybe you let him go. It's difficult to do these scenes because, one, we have to include exposition here, which is backstory of the plot. You know, these are the, one of the few instances that we have yeah. to explain the and plot. It has to be funny or people will walk out of the theater, literally. Right. So. And so, um, but then we get into the brother thing here, and this was a lot of dialogue, and Chris nailed this. I was very proud of Chris in this scene. This is actually a set that is supposed to look like the hotel room with the Plaza Athenae, but, um, and we used a lot of the same fabrics that the Plaza uses, so it was authentic. You could never understand. I understand, man. I got a brother. My little brother Perry. The dialogue here is great because Chris is trying to make Jackie feel better, giving him his own his example. And the, what's so weird is everything in this movie, comedy, I think, has to be current. If you're making jokes about stuff from the 70s, and what's crazy is with Michael Vick, with the... With the with Those the are dog, dog fights. Dog, well, yeah, but chicken, chicken fights, fights, dog fights. I mean, it's all... There's so many current... So much current humor with the Iraq and, you know, if it was... It, it's it was you did a great job, Jeff, and I think it's contemporizing the you know I think it, it it's it's it, it dates the movie because five years from now it might be it, it might feel old, but it's it's gonna let you know when it existed. But right now it's the most current comedy that you could see. This was a very brave choice you did here with this music. <laughs> this was written. This song was written in just like the Doomy Baby. This song was written. And again, I never thought you'd actually use it. <laughs> and it just works. You know, Rush Hour is an international movie. You know, it's a global film and it works. This is a song that the first few bars, you know it's going to be sad. This is a clip I think David Gorder, the associate producer, found, um, which is emphasizing, you know, Jackie's missing Chris. It was similar to the scene again in Rush Hour 2 when they separate. Chris thinks Jackie's dead. I'm sorry, Jackie thinks Chris is dead. Now, of course, our, our Jeff's good friend, Steven Spielberg, gave us the rights to this Indiana Jones clip, which is very funny as well. Um, and here he's ordering uh, the contrast here. You know, two guys from different walks of life and loving the other guy's culture, which is fried chicken and sweet potato pie. And, of course, through food, Chris is ordering Mushu. Um, here is the opera, uh, which is a fantastic place to shoot. And um, Beach Boys, some some callbacks to uh, Rush right, Hour. For those of you paying attention, at home. <laughs> we uh, we auditioned like a hundred of these street performers, and this guy was so funny with his accent, and we just thought it would, it really worked. Noemi looks gorgeous here. This hair again is fake hair because she's already bald. Now this this is CGI. This sign here, we couldn't build a sign in time. That is where they have the like the French Academy Awards, the Caesar Award there on Avenue Montaigne, which is only a block from my hotel. So I walk to the set every day. But again, it's amazing. That's just a seamless effect. You would never have any idea Notice why you'd even have an effect yeah. there. They're all over the place. Lala did a great job on the score here because it was it was um, it was um, mysterious and it didn't tip. You know that the whole idea. I, I I remember Jeff was on the set that day and I couldn't figure out where to start the scene from. And I started one way and then I ended up this way. And then I after I saw it, I said, "Ooh, we might be tipping that he's a villain because he's just it was written that way. He's just at his door. He didn't knock on the door. But then Lalo helps me tell the story that I want to tell because the music now here is not menace, it's mystery." 
Um, and it doesn't tip that he's a villain. It actually makes him like a good guy. Like my family's in danger. Um, now, a lot of people, when they see Max von Sydow, go, ooh, he's the villain. You know, we can't help that. Max, you did too many, you know, movies where you played a villain in it. Right. But, but those are the people our age. For our the age, 13, yeah. 14-year-old boys who see the movie. They have I, no idea that, that, that Max is a villain here and because the music doesn't tip it. And I thought it was a great execution of a score to help me tell the story in the proper way. Society wouldn't be so secret anymore. And they would all Jackie has a lot of dialogue here too, and he's he's you know his English from the first film to this film has gotten worse. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the interesting thing is that this is a scene if you take out of if you take the comedic scenes out, this is a scene for instance that could fit in a thriller. All exposition, this all this dialogue was Noemi's character Genevieve's dialogue, and I said we cannot give it to to her. Her English is not good. We have to give it to Max von Sydow, who's going to really. You know, not make it feel like exposition, make it feel like a real scene. This is my favorite scene to shoot, even though it doesn't get a huge laugh. Um, shooting here, of course, we had like a day to shoot, and it took me like a week to get through this scene. Cause this was your idea, I recall. This is my idea. Chris yeah. with 100 naked women in yeah. the scene. And um, this is a lot of fun. And Chris, of course, puts the charm on. And uh, we need to find a girl who can speak French here. We were in L.A. And uh, it was fun. It was really fun shooting the scene. And I love it. I'm a, I'm a fan. And, I, and Jeff recommended that we don't give it away. And, and in one cut of this, the, um, Chris says, you know, everyone, take off your clothes. And Jeff thought it was killing the next scene. So we left it with there. We have work to do. We had a lot of discussions about this. Yeah, and, it was yeah. hard. It was very difficult. But it's eye candy. It's I think definitely... we just kept wanting to watch the scene over and over. Yeah. Pretty much. And for some reason, I wasn't on the set this day. Yeah. I don't understand I don't how why. that happened. The one know. day I missed. It was a close set, Jeff. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love this this because, I again, Ed Verar, production designer, kind of transformed a just kind of a club where they have like rock shows into a very French with the chandeliers and... I think everything you do in this sequence, the choreography, the production design is fantastic. Yeah, really even good. the extras, see the guy in the tuxedos and the extras, it was, it's, you know, it, it worked. This is a scene that really worked and, um, you know, here we... Uh, and by the way, this is a scene that, you know, is very broad, could be very dangerous yeah. to have this dancing and all this stuff and sort of on the line, and that's why I'm so uh, happy how, how good it turned out. Tanzine? The brunettes. I love the, the propping and the, and, and the uh, I think Betsy uh, did a great job at the, at the costumes here. They were brilliant costumes. They're and, naked. Well, you mean if they had them on, <laughs> in theory. In theory. I'm talking about the head pieces and the, the little things they had. Silver Dollar Potential. Very subtle comedy there from Jeff Nathanson. <laughs> I told the, you to cut that line <laughs> out. These dancers were great. I mean, they were amazing. This, whole, this was inspired by a song by Serge Gainsbourg. Uh, who's one of my favorite singers from France, and the song is Bonnie and Clyde. It's him and Bridget Bardot singing, and this is where we got the idea for the... The wardrobe was kind of inspired, I think, by Borsellino, starring Alain Delon and Jean-Paul Belmondo. 
Yes. So did I. They're going to kill her. What? Look. Comment il vécu? Comment il I love this this you know theatrical kind of you know half the, they're all girls but they're half they're all dressed in suits but then they rip their clothes off and now all of a sudden they're women they got garters and undies and the men are you know they're women still but it's I think Betsy did an amazing job. This is the costumes that I thought Betsy did a great yes, job. Yes, these are amazing. And this isn't in the script. This is all just the know, ass shot was in the script. The ass shot. I just no. <laughs> but this idea. You know, I think it's fantastic and really sets up the sequence. And, uh, you know, I certainly was happy to see it in the movie. I had no idea it would be here. I wanted, you know, the Tommy guns and the, you know, Is I love... Was this based on something in your mind or you just came up with this? Well, Bonnie, the song was what set, inspired right. me. I wanted to put the song in the movie, and I thought, okay, let's make her a showgirl. You know, uh, we could do something theatrical. And then you came up with the whole thing about Jackie and Chris singing. Actually, you wrote this is an, a song. The song that I that's in the movie I came up with because you wrote, of course, Lionel Richie would make sense for for the purposes of Rush Hour because Chris and Rush Hour Two made fun of Lionel Richie, said uh, you know he hasn't been black since the Commodores. And uh, we thought we'd put a Lionel Richie song in, but then I found out it was in a lot of other movies. How did you come up with Roberta Flack? Uh, well, it's a song that was done by Roberta Flack and redone by Beyonce uh, and uh, Luther Vandross. So I thought, okay, young kids will know it and an older generation. So, And it's a difficult song to sing. It's very black. It's like what I did in Family Man when Nick Cade sang La 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 Means I Love You. Chris has a fantastic falsetto voice, um, and I love hearing him sing. And... The closer I get to you. And we originally had a scene where you see Jackie up in the rafters and running around, and I'm, I really think that was one of the best cuts that yeah. you guys made. In the last day of like locking picture. To we... literally keep this, you know, to, to, to keep just focused you forget about clock. Jackie Chan, you don't know where he is and have no idea what he's doing. So it's more of a surprise when he comes down and we get a big reaction there. That car in the background is like the the car from Bonnie and Clyde or whatever, like uh, almost exact car from Bonnie and Clyde. So the authenticity of, of the wardrobe and the details was very Bonnie and Clyde. I'm a big fan. Could never be more than and, and Jackie um, is a singer, right? I mean, yeah, oh yeah, singer. he's a big star in Japan. It's a, you know, every karaoke club in Japan has Jackie Chan songs on the karaoke machine. Sweeter and sweeter love grows And heaven's there for those Some scenes I just have in my head from the beginning, and I just thought, the you know, someone in the audience starts to shoot, and you know, the audience thought it was part of the show because the girls were on stage with Tommy guns, and then all of a sudden the tribes are in the audience, and it was kind of a mixture between Scarface and you know something happened to me in real life when I was in a theater watching New Jack City, and <laughs> as someone is shooting on the screen, someone jumps in the theater and starts shooting up in the air, and I thought, oh, that was like a theatrical, and I go, no, no, that was real. I've been looking for you all day, my friend. We need to talk. Forget it, George. We're not paying for anything. The character of George is really an incredible addition to 
to rush hour. I think he, he nailed it. This is one of the funniest scenes, I think, in the movie, but it's a different type of comedy, you know, and it's, again, it's, it's, um, it helps with his character. It's funny. It's just, how did you come up with this? It's just about stereotypes. You know you're writing a movie in France. You know there's going to be a guy who doesn't like Americans. So what could be more fun than to have him desperately want to be an American and just sort of turn it on its ear? And, you know, again, luckily you get an actor that can pull it off. So you think she stole this Shawshank list from the triads? Only one way to find out. You're thinking what I'm thinking? We need her to talk, get her relaxed. Maybe the one shot I, I, I hate is the eyeline there mistake that I, I made um, with Jackie looking at the wrong side of the line. I couldn't decide which side of the room I wanted her in, and I shot him first. So I, but This no is the danger knows. of having a writer on the set, because when Jackie is, when you're saying to me, what else could Jackie say? And we're coming up with oh, yeah, 20 different come, versions yeah, of... By the way, that dialogue of Jackie, Dirty Movie, was Chris's dialogue. Chris didn't want to say it at the time, and I gave it to Jackie, and I'm happy I gave it to Jackie, because it, you could, we could have never given that dialogue to Jackie in the first rush hour. It would be completely out of character. But since the audience knows that these guys have spent years together, that Jackie, some things Jackie's going to learn from Chris. And um, it was definitely a line more suited for Chris, but funny, funnier that Jackie said it. And that was also part of the idea of the movie, is that, you know, just like in the end, that Chris... Is you know speaks Chinese now and does martial arts. martial arts. You wanted to see Jack. You know, Chris is rubbed up, on, rubbed off on Jackie on too. Jackie, yeah. Just relax. No one is safe. I'm. Mark. This is funny because this could have been a really bad, corny scene. I, I got to tell you. And Chris again puts his charm on, and uh, you know, and it makes no sense <laughs> yeah. at all. Like you know, they just. They just talk and then they start kissing, but I, you know, it's it's really entertaining. Yeah. Even though it makes no sense. It's entertaining. You, you know, he he keeps your interest on the screen. You never get bored watching Chris Tucker, that's for sure. Or a beautiful woman, um, and uh, they have great chemistry as well. And uh, she looks the best, I think, here in this scene. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Well, there was a reshoot because we we had a problem with the camera. There was a, a lens. The lens was out of focus. Uh, there was it was not focusing properly, and we had to come back and do it. And. I think uh, every time I've ever reshot anything, I've made it better. Oh, man. James. What? I'm bad. I'm bad, too. I'm a bad girl. Hallelujah! So this is homage number two, huh? This is, um, well, no. Oh, no. Well, yeah. not yet, but this is uh, this is one of the funniest scenes also. And I think great dialogue. Notice that's in a Warner. I'm very proud of. No edits. Chris was on on this day. Um, but sexual innuendo, but not, you know, too much for the kids, I think. What are you talking about? He says, <laughs> how do you say once now and twice in the shower or whatever? Well, but innuendo, once now, what are you saying about it? Uh, it's, um, and this is by far the best line in the movie. He goes, once it matches. Got a huge laugh last night at the Man Chinese Theater <laughs> with the Hollywood crowd. Um, doesn't work as well in certain... Um, uh, areas, but most right here. This is the next homage, which is my favorite, which is uh, the homage to Marathon Man. It's not funny when I was doing the press chunk of people were saying, "Well, that homage to Rear Window." I said, "No, no, 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 no. This is Marathon Man, ladies and gentlemen. Movies of the seventies. Right. Tell them when you're going to steal from something, <laughs> get it right." Yeah, and uh, I love this scene. Big yeah. laugh. Very, a lot of fun to shoot. And Jackie's great. You know, he really helps that he out. Sells that it. look. He sells it. Here's a here's a joke, the Lance Armstrong, which which 
You know, I don't mind these highbrow jokes in here, I got to tell you. Um, they don't work for every, everybody in the audience, but they really work for a specific um, intelligent crowd that, that uh, thinks it's funny that Lance Armstrong... I mean, you, you gave the reason why Lance Armstrong goes to France. Here, Chris is uh, looping this uh, French, which is very funny. And um, we had a shot initially where, where she saw in the reflection, I never shot it. We shot her coming up in the reflection, but I think it gave it away. So I like that they both point the gun, and then, of course, she gets shot. And it's hard to pull off. I think Noemi did a great job here because it's hard to pull off, um, you know, getting getting shot and making it real. And Chris is still funny, and you believe her, and Jackie feels bad. And it's just, it's, it works. It works. This is what Chris really sells us because in any other movie, you know, someone gets shot and you're worried about you know, that you're not going to actually get laid is yeah. probably hard to buy. Yeah. But I kind of buy it here. You hear that? We have to get out of here now. Damn, Lee, damn you. Next time I'm getting my own damn room. This is Julie Depardieu. Uh, again, the chemistry between Julie and uh, Yvonne is fantastic. And, so this is Gerard Depardieu's daughter? Yes, Gerard Depardieu's daughter. Great actress. And we shot this in L.A., um, most of the interiors we shot in LA because we didn't want to be in Paris. You know, Paris is really for the exteriors. And this is another homage. Yes, absolutely. To The Godfather, one of our favorite films. And it's one of the, it's probably the only time in the Rush Hour films where we cut away from Jackie and Chris to have a scene with, with yeah. other characters. Yeah, I don't think it's ever happened. I don't think uh, and, there's uh, ever really been a scene. I mean, either Jackie or Chris enter a scene yeah. um, at the end, but this is a scene where you know, you can stay on two other characters for this amount of time and still be entertained, and that's because of the strength of these two actors. Absolutely. A lot of French people ask why they weren't speaking in French, and I didn't have an answer to that question. <laughs> we cannot help you until you tell us the truth. Where is Shai Shen? This movie is a roller coaster, and, I, and I'm so proud of the, the humor in this. Chris was so on this day, and when I read this, I cracked up. And it's stuff, you know, only Chris can bring up pop culture references like, you know, Brokeback Mountain and, and make a joke out of it. And what I love about it is that Chris is naivete, and, and he doesn't really know the crying game, even though I did explain it to him. So he calls it the crying games. And, you know, without even getting the subtle reference... He makes it his own, and it makes it funny. Yeah, it's so hilarious. It has almost a double meaning. It's funny because... Like he, it's like when he's singing the National Anthem, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and the words are just... And the words no are not the words of the National Anthem, or when he'll say, uh, you know, you know what old men do? They spend their time in the library, you know? I could have corrected him, but Chris is country. That's the way he speaks, and it's real. So we stay true to who Chris is and Jackie is, and the fact that they don't understand each other is what makes this 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 duo so dynamic. What type of tradition is that? Have these guys ever heard of a damn fax machine? Again, exposition. Exposition that we have to get in here and make it funny at the same time. Very, very difficult. Trying to sell the plot of this film uh, and make it funny. And Chris coming in with the... You know, haven't these guys ever heard of a fax machine? Is really, really... Uh, <laughs> that was an improv improvised line. My favorite close-up in the in the movie of, of Noemi, because she is gorgeous even as a bald man. <laughs> this is actually the the um, the ministry, I think, the French ministry. 
I won't be here when you come out. I'm sorry. Yvonne wearing his Lakers hat here. He dreams of now being an American, but he realized because his wife slapped the 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 hell out of him, made him realize that you all you are is a cab driver. So get out of your delusional state and come home and and, and it's really nice. It's, you know, he's in four scenes, and this is it, and you think he's out of the movie, and it's really... Uh, yeah. So it's a nice surprise. He's got such he... a sweet face, you know? Yeah. This is an incredible building. These guys in the background, um, not the not the extras. I'm talking about these guys are real cops that work there. And these guys behind her, the way they dressed in for the French foreign minister, they were these, like, cups. I don't know if it's to sip wine or something. Or <laughs> it's very fancy, you know, tuxedos. I want a guy like that in my house. I thought this was an amazing set because this was a horrible old building in downtown yeah. L.A. I got this idea because I went to the uh, French Minister of Culture's office in Paris, and I said, I told my producer, I have to shoot here. I do not care what happens. And he said, we cannot shoot here, but I promise you to build you a set as spectacular. And the only thing, the only difference is the view out the window of the Minister of Culture's office is mind-blowing. Uh, so we don't have the view, but we have the incredible set here. This is the tattoo that was done uh, by the same artist who did Red Dragon, and for me, uh, for Ray Fiennes, and Prison Break. And he did a fantastic job. And this is my biggest disappointment as a writer, is that she had to take off the wig twice in, in almost two scenes in a row. And yeah. then I wish I had figured out a way that she'd have to do that. Yeah. She could have walked in without the wig on, probably. Oh. That was my mistake. Okay. No, no, no. I'll take that one. <laughs> Max just grounds it. You know, he grounds it. He's not He's not acting in a comedy. He's not trying to be funny, which is what I love about these. Had he seen the Rush Hour movies? Did he have any he idea saw that you him. were? He loved them. Yeah, he saw them. He saw them. That's why he agreed to do it. Yeah, we weren't paying him a lot of money. Everyone was like, how much did you pay Max once he I said, he didn't ask for anything unreasonable or New Line wouldn't have paid it. You know New Line. Um, but, uh, you know, this is what's so great about this movie. This is what why it works because it's really a true hybrid. It's a true action comedy. Hello, brother. All the other actors are playing it very real, including Hiroyuki Sonata, uh, Zhang Jingchu, or Jingchu Zhang. Um, and... Um, you know, Jackie and Chris fall in and out of that mold. They go from, you know, drama to comedy to action uh, very easily. You and Jean-Vierre will meet me all Brett said to me, you know, I want the third act set piece to be on the Eiffel Tower, which yeah. I really, I think, fought him on in the beginning because I just never imagined that you could even design and execute a sequence like this third yeah. act. It's pretty unbelievable. You know, I knew because of my experience with, with X-Men that, that if we had difficulty shooting on the Eiffel Tower, that we were going to be able to, you know, enhance it with visual effects. I have to tell you, being on this Eiffel Tower was the highlight of my directing career. It really, really was. I mean, being up there, um, and we can only get up there at midnight until 6 in the morning because that's, we cannot even bring the equipment up until midnight. The rules and the fact that we got this, we did more on the Eiffel Tower than anybody has ever been able to do. I remember um, one, the reason I got the idea was because of the James Bond movie, View to a Kill. And I, when I went back and looked at it, uh, Roger Moore was like running around just up and down the stairs shooting right. at And we, what we were able to pull off was, was amazing. 
this is where it was the highlight of my directing career. I'm on the Eiffel Tower. I wanted to show off for Jackie and Chris. I go to my AD, Jamie. I said, Jamie, turn off the lights. All of a sudden, ching, all the lights of the Eiffel Tower go off. I go, you know what? It's too dark. Turn it back on. Ching. And I did this like six times through the night. And I'm sure people in Paris are going, what the hell is going on up there? What are they doing? Now, this is a set. And this is not the real Jules Verne, um, but this is a set. And the most incredible translate, I think Jimmy Muro, again, did a brilliant job at lighting this. And this is a great set piece. And we wanted to create a huge action fight sequence here because we spent so much money building this set. This is a, 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 a rarity, having an actor such as Hiroyuki Sanada or someone... Aside from Jackie Chan, who was able to even hold a sword properly, let alone swing it at the head of another actor, um, where Jackie trusted him, felt comfortable with him, and um, and was able to go toe to toe with him. So no stunt doubles at all. No stunt cares. doubles for the sequence. Jackie and Hiroyuki Sonata, you know, went toe to toe, and that's because of his experience in the Sunny Chiba uh, martial arts films and. Uh, this was the most exciting thing to shoot, in my opinion, um, these fight sequences. I mean, most actors can't even literally hold a sword properly, and these guys are smacking each other with the swords, which was really unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. You have nothing. And you'd think the hardest part about shooting on the Eiffel Tower would be something to do with the tower, but in this case, it was getting Chris Tucker in the wig. Yeah, <laughs> getting Chris Tucker in the wig was, was not easy. Chris is cute as a girl, really. I like those curls. This was the only real debate we had, I think. Well, maybe one of three debates, which is how often Chris yells out during the fight sequences. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and you know what? It probably could have been a little less. Oh, don't start now. It's too late, man. <laughs> You're always right. Look at that. That's just great. That's a visual effect, by the way. Oh, I know that. I worked on the movie. It's still amazing. <laughs> This is similar to when they're in the in the hotel room at the end in, in Rush Hour 2, you know, some similarities. I love this set. I mean, incredible set that was built. Do it! Put it out! And one of the intensity here, back and forth. I'm not playing! We had that girl hanging out there for days. I mean, but it just looks amazing. It's absolutely seamless. The Temptations. I could have cut to a shot of The Temptations. Well, you kind of, you've already, and people laugh because you've established them. Yeah. How long did it take you to shoot this whole sequence up here? Oh, like three months. <laughs> Felt like it, at least. I had like three days in the schedule, and I don't know what they were thinking. Again, you know, a a equal adversary here, you know, Jackie toe-to-toe. -to -toe. That's why we, you know, normally, in, in, I think in Jackie Chan movies, it's the camera's always on Jackie. It's almost like it's a, on, like when you watch a Warren Beatty movie, the camera's right. always on Warren. And, um, you know, a lot of reverse shots because it's a, it's, it's a character that we know and that we've been following. And some people may be, you know, you want to you wanna see the guy that you're rooting against. And I think it's important. 
And now we go into visual effects land. Uh, you know, that, that's the set, of course, and below is, a, is, a, is the street below, but it's comped in because, of course, we couldn't hang this actor up 600 feet off the Eiffel Tower. And um, ILM, I think, from this point on, did all the visual effects, and they did such a brilliant job. And that, that color down there, that bluish thing is real. I mean, that's the color mm -hmm. of the streets from the lamps. It's a kind of a greenish, greenish blue. Just comparing how difficult this is to do, like in comparison to the huge bridge sequence in X-Men, is it? Is this a harder sequence or about the same? <laughs> well, I think it was harder because so much went into it, you know, and uh, the, the bridge sequence was, you know, that bridge was, I never went to San Francisco. Here, I was in Paris, I was in so many elements and pieces. And you're also uh, creating, really, no one's ever seen the inside of the Eiffel Tower like exactly. that. So you're really creating an environment that's never been on film. Yeah. I want people to have fun watching us have fun. And this is a complete CGI shot. We did build like a kind of a walkway on stage with the green. And then um, the height there is really... I mean, it's, it's, ILM is really incredible at making stuff look real, and that's... How many, how many effect shots are just in this sequence, would you say? A few hundred, a few hundred. This is a total CGI environment, which is amazing. I mean, so we, they're on a stage behind a green screen. screen. With Jumping off of, we did build the... Some girders. Kind of, and yeah, the girders and stuff. You know, we were high up, so they had to be on wires as well, because we wanted the height and for the depth, so you could see, you know, where we were looking down. Another improvised moment from Chris right here. Yeah, that's great. Which is a delayed reaction, but <laughs> really great. This is our uh, Star Wars shot. And right. ILM, as a, as if you look on the DVD, if you hear this, there's hidden on the DVD um, this fight sequence with lightsabers, which cool. is really cool, which they did as, as a joke, kind of, but we're going to put it on the DVD. So this is a to, shot you added very late too, right? This is a shot that we come with last minute because I just wanted to open it up a little bit. I said, we got to see where they are. And uh, they came up with it just weeks before we locked picture, which was amazing. Again, Hiro Sonata doing all these fights himself, which is unbelievable to me. I mean, this guy is a dramatic actor and he's this guy's capable of anything. And, uh, well, it also allows you to see. This fate. was cool. This was we originally were falling with them, and I said that doesn't work. You don't believe it. This net, by the way, was real. We, we, um, we were walking around the inside of Jackie and I on a scout, and we saw the net. I go, look at that. But there was a bunch of shoes in the net, and a bunch of cameras, and and the net is there because when people drop stuff, I think it kills somebody. And, and kills somebody. So the net is so because people drop stuff off the Eiffel Tower, which happens all the time. And we said, oh, we could use that for the fight sequence and it won't, doesn't have to look like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It could be... But that net Chris, again, improvised right there, Kung Fu Fighting, which is, uh, was quite expensive. And ripping the net here, that, those are CGI characters, and then, of course, we go into the real guys there, which is really cool. And um, this is an emotional part. I mean, this is, this is something that I pitched the hero originally. I think you were there in that, <laughs> in that meeting where I was like, you know, I want, you know... Jackie's instincts are to save him, and of course, you know, Hero sacrifices himself because he sees that if he doesn't, you know, let go himself, then Jackie's going to die with him. Yeah. So he shows it's a villain who shows some humanity, which I think is 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 a great moment for for Hero's character. 
you know, he's a bad guy. We know he kills people, and but he he shows humanity and empathy or sympathy for for Jackie's character. And you completely buy it. You know, there's it's it's two really good actors. I love this fall. I now mean, you say the net is real, but in the film there is no real net at all. No, it's in the film there's CG. no real net. But there was a film on the Eiffel. There was yeah. a net on the Eiffel Tower, right. and we we. Um, you know, we, we that's how we got the idea. Tears in Jackie's eyes. Tears I mean, in a rush hour movie. Who yeah. would have thought we would yeah. ever see such a thing? Now this is not there, and then this is there. So we go from CGI to practical to you know back and forth. And I, I don't think audience members can tell. This is my favorite CGI shot because we built this set piece. We're right here where Chris is walking on the on the edge, and then of course when you look down, that's fake. But that's really there, but it's not there in that shot. That was green under there, and we put that in. Stay cool, lady. This doesn't have to end this way. I think she looks great here, and this is her her greatest moment. And I love her her death scene here. I was happy to. She asked for a great death scene, and I was happy to deliver it. The wheels, and that's where Connie Palmasano comes in. Just the practicality of the stunts and making it work, making it feel real, making it feel organic. She goes for the knife, she gets kicked, she goes into the... And these wheels are actually up there, right? This is yeah, those are, that, those are the wheels that bring the elevator up. And this, they let us shoot, this is Jackie really jumping into the elevator shaft. That's amazing. Of the Eiffel Tower. And I'm like, they'd let us do this, but they wouldn't let me. It was unbelievable. And then this is really there, and then he jumps over. That Look at the depth there and the height. He jumps down, and we're there. We're there on the Eiffel Tower at this very moment which is exciting. And this, we had this ending, but we didn't, you know, originally he walks her over the elevator and says goodbye to her and tells her, go call the cops. Mm. And we're like, why are they staying up there? So we came up with this cutaway of them shooting, put in some CGI sparks behind him. He pushes her in the elevator and it works. I mean, it's amazing is what editing can do to fix your mistakes, you know, and now, or the script flaws. Oh, not uh, Hey, flaws. hey, hey. <laughs> and now we begin ending number two of seven. <laughs> yes. Second ending, and this flag is was a, was Jeff's idea. Was it Jeff's idea? No, this is Jackie, I think. Jackie came up with the idea of putting a flag, and we said, oh, let's make it a French flag. And he hides up in the flag. And, and he really jumped into that flag. Well, we couldn't figure out how to get off the Eiffel Tower. I had heard that, you know, 100 years ago, somebody with a bicycle... Yeah. Well, that rode, was in the original script. Rode, <laughs> ...rode down the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. You knew about that? Yeah. yeah. And so we thought, okay, of course, Jackie Chan can ride a bicycle down the end of the Eiffel Tower. He grabs a tourist bike and rides down the... But it didn't seem as fun. And so when we came up with the flag thing, was we, we had the flag up there one day, and we were scouting, and all of a sudden, a gust of wind, because it's very windy up there, came by and literally took the took him up like this, not as high and over the edge, but we said, that's it. That's how we're going to get Chris, because it happened for real. And that's what's so exciting about these movies, is that I'm not stuck to what's written, even though Jeff comes up with some great stuff. If something happens on the day, we know it's going to be the best version. And I think when you watch the movie, you think, well, how are they going to get down? And you, and because it's rush hour and because you've established a reality, yeah. you can get away with two guys flying off the tower on a flag. Yeah. It's just fun. So this is, the, for instance, that's that's in Paris, and then that the reverse is in L.A. That's in Paris right there. That's in Paris. And then cut to the reverse. This next shot, 
And that's in LA. So it's a mixture of Paris, LA, Paris, LA. And ILM did an incredible job. And this is a, 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 my favorite shot where that wide shot and you just see him coming down. Um, and you, it just feels so real, you know? And it is real. It is the Eiffel Tower. And it is two CGI characters falling. <laughs> And there you suspend their belief for a second because the audience is believe because it's like now we're with them. But then that's why I kept like just these wide shots of them. And then we controlled the Trucadero Fountain here, which was amazing. Um, from there to the Eiffel Tower, we, we, we owned it. So they gave you the tower and they gave you the Trucadero, Trucadero Fountain. Fountain. From, and from the Trucadero Fountain until the tower, we controlled all the traffic, everything on those nights that we were there. I'm not constipated anymore. My proudest line, I think, in any <laughs> film I've ever written. I'm not constipated anymore. <laughs> we had a pissing, you know, dog pissing on Chris. We were a little worried about it. We had, right. at the yeah. end, we had a version where Ivana Tal pissed on himself. And we said, Jeff said, now you're just going too far. You're really trying to ruin my career here. But, you know, it's, 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 it's walking the line of, of broad comedy. Just killed this girl. Blew her brains out. Here's ending number six. Ending number six. I'm very proud of how, you know, I, I, I made the audience kind of unclear of as to what's happening here until, of course, Max's double. I wanted to do a Sunset Boulevard shot under the water where you just see his face there. And of course, we had to get to this, which is more important. And that was really, for me, one of the great moments in seeing this with an audience for the first time when they applaud. And if they moment. didn't applaud, if they didn't react to this, we were screwed. Because exactly. Thought, you just knew that either the you movie knew they, worked or yeah. didn't work. We knew the movie worked because of this very moment. Because if they didn't react to this, if they didn't care about the the, the villain getting killed by our one of our, you know, our heroes, then we would have been screwed. And we would have felt like, wow, we didn't do a good job establishing these characters. And, of course, my favorite... Director in the world. I love um, how much fun he has here, yeah. moment with his finger and everything. He really, <laughs> he improvised this where he gave Jackie a wink right here. <laughs> He's a sadistic French cop with homoerotic uh, tendencies. He's right. Lead together, we can do anything. You go this way, and I'll go that way. Little callback to end the movie. Little callback, have you seen? And of course. The theme song of Rush Hour, War. We could have actually played a Michael Jackson song here. That's true. Now, you shot some other endings. I shot one another ending. One other ending. Which I wrote yeah. 12 other endings. You wrote 12 shot other one other endings. ending. But we felt like this was, this is a good ending. You know, how many more endings are we going to go to in this movie? That's right. What's now, great about the outtakes, they really give people an idea of what your day is like yeah. on the set of a Rush Hour movie. And my, my, my direction is to the crew, do not cut the camera. If Jackie gets hurt, do not cut the camera. If Chris flubs a line, do not cut the camera. Just never cut the camera. And this is what, what my day is like every day. And, uh, but it's fun. It's hard, but it's fun. <laughs> the secret. I know seafood. You see the personal charm that Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker have and the enthusiasm they have and excitement they have for making these movies. And of course the danger of giving an actor a knife to throw at Jackie Chan <laughs> and giving Chris the opportunity to throw a punch at a stuntman 
because he will get punched. I'm sick of you, Kenji. You've been trying to kill us ever since the start of this damn movie. Here, this is where Jackie got hurt. The worst that I've ever seen him get hurt, especially on one of my films. I mean, literally cracked his sternum. I, he like knocked himself out there practically. She's, so she's working for El Loco, Lero Poco. I'm sorry. It's El Pollo Loco. So now she works at El Loco Poco. We always have problems on planes. Dialogue on planes is not, never works. Never works. That studio keeps on. That's why they say cut the plane scenes yeah, every time because of this. Cut the moment. plane scene is we cannot. But get this the... will be a commercial for El Pollo Loco one day. For exactly. Sure. <laughs> the greatest publicity they'll ever have. El Pollo Loco. Oh, El Pollo Loco. This is my assistant Anita's baby. Hope I am the godfather to this cute little. Asian girl. The mom's gone. <laughs> Maybe we should put this on. This was because Jeff was on set and handed me a piece of paper while we were shooting the scene and that had all these <laughs> these versions of these alternates for Dirty Movie. And I just, I told Jack, I just kept feeding him to Jackie and he just kept saying whatever I said until people kept laughing and they're like, what am I saying? And like, oh, nothing. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And Chris's like, why are you saying that? I don't know. Brett Ratner tells people. That's my cameo in the movie. Brett Ratner teach me that. And great outtake to go out on, which is Chris Tucker um, reminiscing about one and two. Jeff, thank you for your hard work. You have been there through, um, through from the beginning, ten years, ten years Let's until the end. Yes, and I could, I can honestly say that uh, there would be no rush hour without Jeff Nathanson's words. Um, I am just a part of the making of this movie <laughs> because Jeff, Jeff really gets these guys, and Jeff, um, you know, delivers every time. And he is is the guy that I could have on the set that can literally give me five ideas. I can invite him in the edit room. Um, literally show him um, a scene and he will come up with an off-camera line that just makes the scene that much funnier. So We cut, by the way, about 20 minutes. Oh, we did? Okay. No, I think they could could keep running this over the credits. Come on, we got a few minutes to go. But I want to just talk about literally how, how, um, how really, you know, Rush Hour is, is, is something that I think is definitely and has exists because of the movies that we grew up watching, just like, uh, you know, the movies that Scorsese and Spielberg, not to compare to Scorsese and Spielberg, but they watched, of course, a lot of Peeping Tom. They watched a lot of uh, the same movies. And because we're close in age and we both grew up loving comedies and, and, um, you know, I think this is what came out of this. It just happened that we we had met and um, we worked together on this. The most opposite people on earth who have absolutely nothing in common (laughs) except (laughs) these movies. Yes. And, uh, well, you're a family man and I'm not, you mean? Is that what you're referring yeah. to? Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of these movies. Um, I have so much fun making these movies. They're difficult. And you, you know, you, 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 get, you get put through the mill 
uh, a lot and you you deliver every time and look Romy Schneider is the contract administrator that's interesting <laughs> and um, rush hour four in the bathhouse will be out in yes 2010 2010 maybe 2012 <laughs> but uh, grumpy old rush hour but I think honestly we should what we should do is we should come up or you should come up and and of course I'll approve it uh, with another movie for Jackie and Chris together like uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor did um, when they went from... What if we just steal one of their old movies? You mean like Silver Street? Stir Crazy, Silver Street. See, see No Evil, Hear No Evil. We could do that. Why don't we... Yeah. I think this is a good idea. I think we've solved the problem. <laughs> no and more... Then, and then come back to Rush Hour after because... Or, I mean, maybe we should do one without any action. Just comedy. Yeah. Because that's really what's the big drag. All those days shooting yeah. action. Then we can go back to doing a for a lower budget because what what amazes me is how the first rush hour cost thirty two million, the second one cost a hundred, and this one way more than a hundred. Why does it keep getting more expensive? Am I just getting well I mean, because I'm completely CG, <laughs> so I no longer exist. <laughs> That's a big I mean, problem. Uh, it's crazy. So what would the budget be? I mean, this is the problem. You can't make rush, rush hour, hour four, four would have to be two hundred million dollars. I yeah. mean, it would be crazy. I That's mean, it, too scary. Yeah, I mean, I would. Bob Shea would be coming to the set every day, and and unless we get a third star, like you get Brad Pitt, so it's Tucker, oh. Chan, and Pitt, and Pitt, or you know, what we could do. I have an idea. We can do the way they did that Tom Hanks train movie. Yeah. We could do them all, um, what is it called? CG? Are they CG or animated? Well, it's, yeah, it's that it's kind of animated. Anime. It's yeah. animated, but it's not. But then they could just do the voice. So we could do an animated rush hour. Chris and Jackie just have to show up for a week and do their voices. Maybe and we should do Rush Hour 4 like that. That's a great idea. Right? In the, 3D. In 3D. And... Um, we have a score album available on Varese Saraband, ladies and gentlemen. Do Me Baby. Let me tell you the Prince song, uh, the story. Uh, Prince said, absolutely not. You will not use my song in the movie. And, of course, I called Selma Hayek, who I did After the Sunset With, who I know directed a Prince video. And, of course, no one can refuse Selma Hayek. So she called Prince and said, Brett needs, um, you know, your song for the movie and uh, for Rush Hour. And he said, of course, just make sure that there's no violence in the film. And I said, oh, she called me up because Prince just wanted to make sure there's no violence. I said, absolutely not. There will not be violence in Rush Hour 3. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the love story version of uh, Rush Hour 3. And I love the theme song that, that uh, Salam did that took Lalo's theme and put CeeLo from Gnarls Barkley. I've and never Nas. heard that before, by the way. I've never heard I'm someone, get... no, I've heard, never heard someone take a theme song yeah. and just add their own lyrics like that. It's well, fantastic. maybe James Bond kind of, no? It's very James Bondish. It, it sounds uh, James Bondish. And here at the end, we dedicate um, this film to the memory of three actors who are in the first two rush hours and who have since deceased, who is Chris Penn, um, great, great guy and a great actor, Alan King, who was in the second one, and Wayne King, who was the Siga Weed guy, Brittiana Henderson is a girl who was ill, who came and visited the set on Rush Hour 3 and has passed since Rush Hour 3 came out. So we wanted to dedicate uh, the film to her as well. And she's a friend of Chris Tucker, a very lovely young girl who was ill. Thank you for sitting with us, enjoying the film. And uh, Brett, thank you for everything, for giving me a career and a jacuzzi. <laughs> 
thanks for making me rich and uh, for writing Rush Hour 3. And uh, thanks for joining us for the picture-in-picture commentary for Rush Hour 3. Uh, we had fun doing it. We hope you had fun watching it.